Good morning and happy Advent. You know, Advent is such a great word. It's a word of anticipation, of expectation, waiting, but always in a positive way. It's an adventurer in waiting, like, like you're waiting for that important package to be delivered. You got the email saying it's going to arrive by 8 p.m., but you want it as soon as possible. I mean, you need it as soon as possible, so you're waiting on tiptoe to see the delivery truck come and the package to arrive. In the Christian faith, Advent is a season of waiting for God's Messiah to come. The Old Testament prophets that we've been looking at over the last 12 weeks, they all wrote of this coming. They all did. They were all eagerly waiting for God's Messiah to appear. And then there was a period of over 400 years of silence from God. The Old Testament ended with the, with the prophet Malachi about 420 B.C. And then no more prophets speaking God's word. I mean, lots of talk, but no one with the authority to speak in God's name. And so there was silence. So the Jews were waiting for God to fulfill his promises about this Messiah, this Savior. And remarkably, that same sense of anticipation gripped the entire Roman Empire by the time of Jesus' birth. The first century Roman historian Suetonius wrote this, that there had spread over all the Orient an old and established belief that it was fated at this time for a man coming from Judea to rule the world. Another first century historian named Tacitus wrote this, there was a firm persuasion that at this very time in the East was supposed to grow powerful, and a ruler coming from Judea was to acquire a universal empire. Wow, I mean, can you believe that? God got the word out, first through his prophets, but then also through the secular culture. God's anointed, God's Messiah was coming. It wasn't just the Jews who were waiting for a Jewish Messiah. The whole Roman Empire was waiting for this ruler. They all knew God was up to something. All over the ancient world, people were on tiptoe, waiting for the Son of God to be revealed. On this side of history, our Advent season tries to remember or tries to recapture that same sense of wonder and waiting. So during the Advent season, we're looking at this whole story that surrounded Jesus as he was born in that manger. God was at work behind the scenes, setting the stage for Jesus' birth. Jesus didn't just fall from the sky unannounced. God carefully prepared the world for his birth so that we could in some way gain an understanding of how momentous an occasion this really was. God becoming human flesh and blood, God incarnate as a baby, God shrinking himself down to human size, really God, but also 100% human. I mean, it's unbelievable. How do you wrap your mind around that concept? It's so huge if you really think about it. Not just God pretending to be a human or a good man aspiring to become a God like the Mormons believe. No, God and humanity, these two natures, perfectly made complete in one in Jesus. Here's how the Westminster Confession written by our Presbyterian forerunners in 1646 A.D. Here's how they put it in, in somewhat very rich theological language. The Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, being very and eternal God of one substance and equal with the Father, did when the fullness of time was come take upon himself man's nature, and with all the essential properties and common infirmities thereof, yet without sin being conceived by the power of the Holy Ghost in the womb of the Virgin Mary, of her substance, so that two whole, perfect, and distinct natures, the Godhead and the manhood, were inseparably joined together in one person, 
without conversion, composition, or confusion. Which person is very God and very man, yet one Christ, the only mediator between God and man. I mean, that is a mouthful. Two whole, perfect, and distinct natures inseparably joined together in one person without conversion, composition, or confusion. I mean, who does that? Who even thinks that up? This, this idea of this God-man, this God wrapped in human skin, who lived a life of pure love and sacrifice. How could that idea even come into existence? It's because we have an infinitely creative God. This morning, I want to tell you a little bit about God's creative story so that we can know how all this got started. Go back with me to the very first five words of the Bible in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. The first five words of Genesis, they set the tone for the rest of the Bible. If we don't get this, then the rest of the Bible really doesn't make any sense. Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created. In the beginning, God created. There is something about the essence of God that is creative. There's something about God's basic nature where he takes what wasn't and brings it into existence. He takes that which is empty and void and vacuous and makes it whole and real and good. Notice that in each of the days of creation described in Genesis 1, God then says something. As the planets and the oceans and the continents are formed, God says it's good. As the fish and the animals fill the seas and the dry lands, God says it's good. As the mammals and ultimately humans are created, God says it is good. And then God takes a step back on the seventh day, a day of rest. Not because God was tired. It was a day to fully appreciate all that he had made. He looked at his whole creation like, a, like an artist stepping back and looking at her finished canvas. And says in Genesis 1.31, God saw the, all that he had made and it was very good. Very good. You got to read that in capital letters with a huge exclamation point. Very good. Like that last second 60-yard field goal attempt going against the wind to win a game in double overtime. And as the football clears the goalpost, the sports announcer screams, it's good. That's the kind of good God says over what he creates. Creation. God's creation is good. Each and every aspect of it. Doesn't matter if you look at Genesis literally or poetically, the message is the same. God creates, and what God creates is good. God is a good creator. He is good at it. He does a good job of creating. And when God gets to humans, that means you and me, he saved the best for last. And he said we are very good because we're created in his image, created with self-awareness, with the ability to reason, to know right from wrong, to anticipate the future, created with a living, eternal soul, and also created with the ability to create. God started a creative story, and that creation is still ongoing. Every one of you is different from anyone else in this room. In fact, on the whole planet, Billions of us, yet all unique, like snowflakes, the scientists say, that are all unique. No two alike. Every new child is absolutely unique. In my family, we just had a newborn, a new baby born prematurely to one of our nieces. Conrad is his name. There's never been a person like Conrad ever before in the entire history of the universe. Isn't that amazing? God is still creating, and what God creates is good. Every once in a while, I need a reminder that we live in a good world. The animals are good. The plants are good. The sky, the rain, the snow, the ocean, it's all good. God has labeled all that he has made as good. 
God has written a four-letter word on the graffiti wall of the universe, and that word is good. In a world that is so pessimistic and negative, it's important for us as believers to make the statement that everything God does is good. Life is good. Maybe you've seen the t-shirt. That's where God's creative story begins. It begins from that point of goodness, and that goodness does not go away. Though that goodness is now marred by sin, it doesn't erase the essential original goodness that is there. What sin does is to blind us to truth, and we walk away from this source of goodness that's created us in its, His image. Sin is the impulse in us to wander around and get caught up in all kinds of things that don't do us any good. And so we keep missing the good that God has done. Like 1 Timothy 4, where Christian people were regressing, going back to the idea that they needed to follow all kinds of regulations and rituals in order to please God, making rules about what foods you could or could not eat. And the Apostle Paul had to tell them that they were way off base. 1 Timothy 4, 4. For everything God created is good. Nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. Everything God created is good. Creation is good. That's an all-inclusive statement. And here's the Christmas part of the story. Jesus is the second person of the Trinity in his preexistence before being squeezed into Mary's room through Holy Spirit insemination. He was the agent of this good creation. The Gospel of John, chapter 1. And as I say it, I know you'll hear the echo of Genesis 1 in John's words. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all humankind. You hear the echo, right? In the beginning God created. In the beginning was the Word. The Gospel writer John intentionally makes a connection between the creation of all things and the birth of the incarnate Jesus. And then add verse 10 to that. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. Jesus was the agent of the Father's good creation. Paul says the same thing in Colossians 1. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, for in him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, thrones or powers, rulers, authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Jesus, the one who actively created, was in fact then born into his own creation. The creator recreated in real space, real time, real matter. The infinite becoming finite. Can we really wrap our minds around that truth? The Father is the originator. The Son is the actor. And Genesis 1-2 says the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. The Holy Spirit was active in creation too. God, Father, Son, and Spirit all active in creating. God in His fullness. And that's why I could say later in verse 26, let us make humankind in our image, in our likeness. Well, who's the us? Who's the us? The us is God talking within Himself, Father, Son, and Spirit this dynamic unity that creates. So let me just point out four quick points about this creative God. First, God reveals His glory to us through His creativity. God creates because it reflects His own essence. And we see the very nature of God in what He creates. He creates that which resembles His own glory. That means nature gives us incredible reasons to glorify and praise God. 
from the magnificence of a mountain skyline to feeling a baby's fuzzy head, we know, we simply know that, that God is the author of creation. We are God's creatures living in creation created by the Creator. All of this created world points to God's most supreme glory. Creativity is ultimately woven into God's character and reveals His nature to us. To see the works of His hands is to see Him. When we are amazed by the subtle colors of a sky at sunset, we're experiencing almost the physical manifestation of His warmth and goodness. When waves continually crash against the shoreline, we sense the unrelenting power and His greatness. A cool breeze on a hot afternoon kind of replenishes us and reminds us of the way the Holy Spirit replenishes our soul. A tree laden with snow, still in the cold and crisp in the morning air, sharpens our senses, reminding us of His presence. So from soaring mountains to flat deserts, our, sen our senses experience sort of the terrain of the spiritual world. These are echoes of God's majesty. They all attest to His creativity. Now, God isn't the same as nature. We're not pantheists. We don't believe God is nature and nature is God. God is separate and distinct from what he creates. Like a sculpture like Michelangelo is different from the statue he chiseled out of marble. But we see reflected in nature the nature of our artistic creative God. God reveals his glory in what he creates. Second, and this may surprise you, God creates for his own enjoyment, quite apart from us. While his creative work benefits us, we enjoy the, the beauty, marvel at the majesty, uh, that's not the sole reason God created. When we see a beautiful lake or the touch of something soft, we might inwardly say, thank you, God, for creating this for me to enjoy. And that's a good and proper response, but it is not really a complete response because it only captures his creativity in the light of us seeing it. Creativity, like all of God's essence, starts quite apart from our enjoyment of it. You know, when the first underwater explorers began to experience that entire world below the surface of the seas, way down deep, they were stunned and awed by the beauty that they had never been seen before by the human eye. And yet it had always been in existence deep in the oceans ever since there were oceans. And so quite apart from humanity knowing anything about it, that marvelous beauty exists to glorify God as an ongoing and even unseen testimony to his creativity. When God creates, whether it's a humpback whale or a hummingbird, he does so because it gives him pleasure. The complexity and beauty of our universe with trillions of stars and galaxies that we'll never explore, it gives God pleasure. You know, this week I read that there are something like 80,000 different species of beetles. 80,000? I mean, what, do we really need 80,000 species of beetles? Creating gives God pleasure. And third, we reveal God's glory when we are creative. Creativity helps us to understand who we are and how we're created in his image. It's a part of God's nature and God's image, and he's given that to us. He's given us creative powers. We, we love to create. We paint, we build, we draw, we dance, we sew, we design, we mold, we write, we calculate, we edit, bake, solve problems, do so many things, often for no more reason than just enjoying the act of doing it. There's creativity in thought and culture, art, literature, in our work, in economics, in science and medicine, in all areas of life. Theologians have long discuss, discussed what it means to really be made in God's image, and I think partly our ability to create is certainly an expression of God's image in us. 
our creativity is authored from him. It's one of the most important ways that we can imitate him when we create. We're simply acting out one of the purposes for which he made us. God is extending his creativity through us. God, the greatest of all creators, the one who fashioned the sun and the chipmunk and the Grand Canyon, made us in his image, has been stamped upon us, <clears throat> and he wants us to represent him gloriously in this task of creation, of showing the world what our God is really like, of showing and watch the watching world that our God is a creative master who loves to bring beauty out of ugliness and order out of chaos. You know, when an accountant takes uh, piles of raw data and fashions, it, fashions that data into a meaningful report, he or she is actually reflecting the image of God. When a farmer works with raw soil and causes it to bring forth flowers or vegetables or herbs, she is reflecting the image of God. When, a, when an electrician kind of harnesses the dangerous electrical currents into lighting systems, that actually reflects the image of God. When a writer assembles letters into sentences and sentences into paragraphs, she is reflecting the image of God. Every man, woman, and child is creative in some way. And when we create, it pleases God because he sees us reflecting his image. He sees us imaging him to the rest of the world. God loves to see his image shine through us. But, you know, creativity is hard work. It takes work to create a poem or a garden or to build a car engine or a piece of furniture. It requires conquering our laziness and working faithfully over a long period of time. It requires us to silence that inner critic that kind of paralyzes our creativity. It requires elbow grease. It requires diligence. It's easier not to make anything at all. It's easier just to be a consumer to kind of suffocate the creative gifts that God has given us. No, we need to say no to that attitude and instead intentionally see God's creative hand at work in us. Pastor John Piper writes, If you are God, your work is to create out of nothing. If you are not God, but like God, that is if you're human, your work is to take what God has made and shape it and use it to make him look great. One of the works of the Holy Spirit is to inspire you and motivate to use your gifts creatively for the glory of God. And you do have creative gifts. You're a gifted musician or mechanic or teacher or dancer or woodworker or organizer or landscaper or mother or father, quilter, cleaner. God wants you to use your gifts for his glory. He doesn't want you to waste them. He wants you to use them to benefit those around you, to bring honor to his name. He wants you to steward your gifts and not waste them. Your church needs your creative gifts. Your family needs your creativity. Your friends need your creative gifts. You have gifts that no one else has, and God wants you to use them. Martin Luther once said, the Christian shoemaker does his duty not by putting little crosses on the shoes, but by making good shoes, because God is interested in good craftsmanship. Whatever gifts God has given you, use them to your best ability. Do the best you can with what you've got because that brings glory to God. Like I said last week, God wants you to be your very best self, to bring your very best self to him, and that includes your very best creative self. So here's the final point. God's creation is also waiting for salvation. This good world has been damaged by sin. It's off kilter, off balance. Sin abounds, a lot of evil comes to the earth. God is 
Creation is good, but it is waiting for its full redemption by the Messiah, Jesus. Paul writes in Romans chapter 8, starting with verse 19. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up until this present time. Creation. God's good creation needs to be liberated from its bondage, its enslavement to sin. Still a good world, but damaged by sin. So there are tsunamis and forest fires and hurricanes and other things we call natural disasters. Still a good world, but there is disease and death and decay. Creation groans by the amount of human blood that it has had to absorb through centuries of war and violence. Creation groans under the weight of environmental damage from the very humans God created to be good stewards of the earth. Creation waits in eager expectation, subjected to frustration, but waiting for full liberation. There's an odd little verse in one of the variant endings of the Gospel of Mark where Jesus gives a second version of that great commission to his disciples. It's Mark 16, 15. Jesus said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Preach to creation. The Greek word there is cosmos. That's, That's nature. That's God's created order. Nature has its own Advent season and is waiting for the full redemption and restoration that Christ will bring when he comes again. So as we go forward into this Advent season of expectation, let's do it mirroring the words that the Apostle Paul that I read earlier from 1 Timothy. For everything God created is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. Start every day this week by being thankful for your creative God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the great way that you have put together diversity and and color and, and the magnificent way you've created this world. It all could have just been brown. It could have just been one color. It could have been dull and drab. But Lord, you have gifted us with such beauty and such wonder we can't even take it all in. And you've put that inside us, Lord, by stamping your image upon each of us. So we are good in our very essence from you. Yes, we're marred by sin, damaged by sin, just like our world is. And we are waiting the full redemption of our bodies when we stand before you in heaven. But Lord, for right now, help us to live in the new life that you give us through Jesus Christ. For it's in his name that we pray. Amen.